It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition as we dance around different topics. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commerce editor, with Rick Roaring, who is a master of all trades and the uh, the general of none, if you will. So yeah, that sounds about right. We got a lot to get to today. We got uh, we got some Reds. We got some college basketball. We got betting picks to get to. It's just it's a it's a lot of stuff. Let's jump in because I got a flight to catch. Here and we a got a guest bit. too as well. Yes, we do. Chad Brendel will join us in a few minutes here. Skinny the Reds agreed to a four-year, sixty-four million dollar contract with free agent outfielder Nick Castellanos on Monday. Castellanos will be paid in the form of a $16 million salary in 2020, $14 million in 2021, and $16 million salaries in 2022 and 23. There's also a $20 million mutual option for a fifth season that comes with a $2 million buyout. Castellanos is a career 277 hitter with a 326 OBP and a 471 slugging percentage. Last year, he hit 27 homers and drove in 73 runs with a slash line of 289, 337, and 525 while playing for the Tigers and the Cubs. We'll start here, Skinny. What was your initial impression when you heard the Reds sign Castellanos? He was like the last big fish out there, and I thought, nah, they're just they're not going to be able to they pull the trigger. Yeah, they just keep whiffing. They just keep They're not going to be able to get, get that guy. Happen. So when they got him, it's like, wow. I mean... You kept saying that you felt there was another piece coming. I still think there's another piece coming. I think they're going to make a move for a shortstop. I, I really believe that. I didn't think the piece would be this big when you no, kept saying that. We, we've talked about him a little bit on the podcast, and, and um, I've talked about him on a couple of radio interviews I've done of, you know, that'd be a heck of a piece to get. I mean, you know, a proven corner outfielder, which you kind of need. I mean, I, I know we're all giddy over what Aristides Aquino did over the last couple of months, although it waned a little bit, but still the numbers are pretty good. Um, we're not sure about the whole Jesse Winker, you know, in the left field, and he certainly can't hit left-handers. I mean, this guy's legit. He's only 27 years old. And I, and I, I always talk about this, and, and I'm a big believer in it, of, and I would just invite, go to baseballreference.com and look at guys' careers and look how they ascend. And when they get to 20, some guys maybe, I mean, Bryce Harper's a freak, right? I mean, he does stuff at 20. Mike Trout did stuff at 20. Those are freaks. Right. But if you look at most guys' careers, you get to 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, maybe 32, they actually get better. And Those then, are the power years. Right. That's, I call it the power prime years. Those yeah. are your power prime years. And then, it, you know, for some guys, it kind of levels off, and some guys, it tails off, and some guys, it tails off significantly. But you got about a five- or six-year window where you're going to put up some numbers. And it's right now. Dude, he's in the window. He's in the window right now. Do you know how many doubles he hit last year? I don't put you on the spot with that. Uh, not, I don't know the exact number now. All right. You ready to be, have your jaw drop? 58 doubles. But, Can you imagine what that's like in Great American Ballpark? Well, that's the more interesting part. Did you happen to see, I know, C. The spray, Trent, the spray yeah, chart, yeah. His oh, yeah. spray chart overlaid with Great American Ballpark. Yeah. And granted, half the games are not going to be at Great American Ballpark. But half the but games you, are. But if you even take 50% of those balls that would have been home runs mm-hmm. that were either flyouts or doubles or long singles or whatever last season for him, even half of them, or even 25%, that's like... 15 more home runs, at least. There were like 40 or 50 balls that would have been out at Great American Ballpark that ended up being outs or doubles or whatever for yeah, him last year. Yeah, and, and you know some of that, it's hard to tell. I mean, um, he didn't play in Wrigley all year, obviously, because he got traded from the Tigers to the, uh, to the Cubs. But how many of those did he hit in Chicago into the wind? I mean, wind is very rarely a factor in Great American Ballpark. Yeah, True. occasionally on a certain night, maybe, but very or day. But very rarely is wind a factor. Wind is a factor in Wrigley. So, I mean, that even just takes the, the raw spray chart, and you could even go, 
well, holy cow, what if some of those were into the wind that were out? Right. Uh, I, look, am I expecting 50 homers from the guy? Probably not. But I think I, I, I talked about this when they got Scooter Jeanette, and I talked about before he had a great year. I like the signing because of this. He had 31 doubles in Milwaukee one, the, the, the year before the Reds signed him. And I thought, you know, if you look at some of those in Great American, I didn't even look at the spray chart at that time. I just just didn't, just knowing what Great American Ballpark does for, for hitters. If you took eight or ten of those, he becomes a 25 to 30 home run guy. And what did he become? A 25 to 30 home run guy. Um, I, I think it's a great signing. I think it also gives you that right-handed bat. It gives you a lot of flexibility because I was putting, in fact, I did a column on three takeaways from it. One of them was, the lineup flexibility that, that that David Bell can have. I mean, you can put on a given day against a right-hander, you can put Jesse Winker, who just slaughters right-handed pitching in left, and, and the Yakiyama kid they signed from Japan in center and Castellanos in right. On a day when it's a tough lefty, you can put you can put Senzel in center and put Castellanos in left, and if Aquino's on the roster, if he, I mean, he could get sent down for all I know. Put him in right, or put Phil Irvin, who slaughters left-handed pitching in the lineup, in right or left, however you want to go with it. It just gives you, you can put him, he, he was a third baseman his first three years in Detroit, and I don't think he's going to play third with this club. I would assume if, if Suarez is down for any period of time that it's Senzel. But on a given day when it's a tough lefty, and maybe you want Joey Votto out of the lineup, if you can play third, I got a feeling you can play first a little bit, right? Well, I, I mean, think about all the flexibility one guy gives you here. Okay, so let's just talk about that because I had that as one of the questions coming yeah. up here. Is there a possibility when you start talking about this outfield? And granted, I am of the opinion that it's going to work itself out, that you will know exactly who should be playing in the outfield, and more than likely, we'll probably feel like, oh, they need one more guy. Like two or three of these guys. I think it'll didn't be a big mix out. and match. I think it'll be a big mix and match. I think it probably will too, but. But I think it will not be, they're not going to be in a situation where, man, they just have four guys that are just way too right. good and they don't know what to do with no, them. No, it, right? it never it is. It never that works way. out right. that way. So I, I think they'll be able to figure that out. But let's just say you got four guys that are going fairly well, well right. within the platoon and Joey Votto is really, really struggling like he did to start last year. Is there the possibility that Joey Votto finds himself as the odd man out in this lineup at some point this season? Uh, yeah, is, is it a possibility? Sure. I mean, if let's just say Aquino does what he did last year. Let's say in spring training he hits 10 home runs, and you're like, damn, i got to find a spot for that cat. And you know what Winker can do against righties. Against lefties, he couldn't hit him with a boat or He's just as, as awful as it comes. But that doesn't mean you don't play him when a right-hander starts, right? I mean, for me, he's a 907 career OPS guy against righties. That's damn good. I'm going to put that guy in a lineup against righties somehow, some way. Akiyama, you didn't sign him to, to not play every day. And then there's Senzel, who you're looking to, to find spot. So if Votto does struggle, and it's a possibility, you're right. Maybe you just, maybe Castellanos is a full-time first baseman. I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, he could be a butcher over there for all I know, but I mean, the guy did play third. He wasn't a great third baseman, but he was serviceable. And I, I got, like I said, if you can play third, you can play first. You can catch ground ball. And not like I'm asking you to catch ground balls, which you've never done. I'm not asking you to make the throw any longer. I'm not saying they're going to be good, but I feel like almost anyone can play first base in the major leagues. Yes, I'm agreed. not saying you're going to be a good first baseman because right. there are some really good There's first basemen. Yes. That helps. You yes, got a guy right. really pick no it. doubt. That helps. I'm not trying to got to defend the bunt and all those things, but he, he but, played, but he played third. You can so get gotta, by with almost anyone. But my point is, he played third. third. If right. you can play third. You can play first. But just think about the all options. It doesn't have to be him. You could move. Obviously, Senzel could do it, although I don't think that'd be the right. best use of his athleticism. I don't, I don't either. But, but you could yeah. do. Mustakas could obviously right. play it. And Senzel um, could play second. Winker could obviously play it. I mean, you've got plenty of options for first base if that becomes a, a hole. I find it hard to believe that with Vado's career, what he's done, and also the way, to his credit, that he did turn it around at some point last year mm -hmm. and end up with a pretty good season still by most people's standards. 
he's probably not going to lose his spot this year. No, he's he, last year against right-handers, he had a three sixty eight on base percentage. That's pretty good. That's still top of the lineup good. At the very least, I, I, I part of me that I in the initial lineup I made against righties, he was going to hit second, but part of me that thinks I'd even move him to sixth and put Winker up towards the top of the lineup with Akiyama. Akiyama leads off, he hits second. Castellanos hits third. Suarez hits fourth. Mustakas hits fifth. Votto hits sixth. Pretty good six six hitter in your lineup. I'm I'm pretty happy. I'd be pretty happy with a guy getting on base, you know, thirty seven percent of the time and still able to have a little bit of gap to gap power and occasionally hit one out of the ballpark. I think I'd take that guy hitting sixth in my lineup. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with. You. I don't think he ends up out of the lineup, but I, I do think that when there are certain left handers and maybe a chunk of left handers on the mound, your lineup flexibility gives you the opportunity to sit him. The Reds are almost in a position to do what the Dodgers do, and and not quite there. The Dodgers literally have a right-handed lineup and a left-handed lineup. It's the most incredible thing ever, right? I mean, they literally can just go, there's a right-handed lineup, there's a left-handed lineup. And that doesn't mean that guy doesn't play that night. Left-hander comes in, or right-hander comes in at the end of the game to to pitch to a, a tough, Aquino. Let's just say Aquino's going well, but struggles a little bit against righties, and a righty comes in late, and Joey Votto's on your bench. Holy cow, really? I, give me nice that. little option to have. Yeah. Uh, and granted, I think you might be right. You might see them go to a lineup where it is more based off of right-hander versus left-hander. The, the splits for a lot of these guys, I mean, the Philip Irvin-Jesse Winker splits are incredible when they're hitting against the opposite arm pitcher. Um, Akiyama, I'm assuming, can hit both because he played literally every day in Japan. And again, Japanese league stats don't completely translate, but he does get on base, so he obviously knows what he's doing at the plate. Uh, Aquino was pretty much... Dominant against both. If you look at the macro, I know he tailed off a little bit. I, again, I'm still the jury's way out on him. Yeah. Castellanos in the lineup every day. Mustakas tails off a bit against uh, left-handers, not a ton, not as much as I as you would think, but tails off a little bit against left-handers. Um, you know, Suarez is going to be in there every day when he's when he's eventually healthy. I, I, it just gives you so much flexibility. You can look and go, all right, my healthy roster. I can do this, 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 and this, and then I've got these options on my bench at the end of the game. I'm not turning. And this is no knock. I'm not turning to Kyle Farmer to hit a lefty. I'm not turning to Josh Van Meter to hit a right. Eh, it's kind of a knock. It is a it's knock. Kind of it doesn't knock, mean to yeah. be. I mean, but those guys. I mean, those are those literally are not everyday. They're not. I mean, they're they're not. They're not great players. They're 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 no. Good enough. Those are borderline major league guys, guys who are just happy to be on a roster. Right, four A guys, and I root for him. I do. I mean, I thought Josh Van Meter's story is a great story, and I I, I root for him, but. But the Again, guys if we're I, talking about are major listen, league if players. If I have a choice in the end of a game because I've started a right-handed lineup and I have a choice between either Josh Van Meter or Joey Votto to bring off my bench, who do you want me to bring off my bench? Well, it's up to you, but I'd go Votto. Yeah, maybe. I think I would too. Uh, let's parse through this a little bit, though, because the thing I was going to say is they may have right-handed, left-handed lineups, whatever. But for the most part, the, the standard in Cincinnati at least has been to have pretty much a, an everyday type lineup. I don't think they're going to. Uh, well, that's fine, but let's just... Take a guess, maybe for opening day, if that's how you have to do it. But I, I know things can change. But I want to know, who do you think is most likely to be like their best starting lineup? How is this going to work itself out? All right, well, I mean, it, it catcher, I think it's strict. I, I'd almost go straight platoon. Kirk Casale hits against lefties, and Tucker Barnhart hits against righties. Yeah, and I could care less about the catcher position. Right, honestly. but yeah. I'll go around the whole infield. I yeah. mean, you, Votto at least gets first shake, right? I mean, he gets first shake. Moustakas is going to start. At second. At second. Galvis at short. Suarez, depending on health, at third. Right. The infield is set, I think, yeah. going in. I think I think the left field I think the left field spot is probably if I did it today, a platoon between Irvin and Winker. 
Center field is probably Akiyama, but I could also throw Senzel as a platoon possibility, and then Castellanos is your right fielder. Like I said, I think you've got a lot of possibilities to throw lineups around. I, I, I don't think there is a set eight. I don't think there is an everyday eight. Do you feel like you can move Aquino to the bench and get I mean like because I, I almost yeah, I know. feel you want, like you want him to play every day down in the minors right he, he had the momentum coming coming out of last year you want to see if he can build on this and and maybe you do have lightning in the bottle and this guy is going to be a stud if you don't think that like I mean I guess I just I think well, you have to send him down to the minors if you don't think right. he is going to be a stud but and if spring, you think he has that chance I think you have to play him yeah will spring show us that though will spring show us will he hit eight does, homers in spring will does, he, spr- does spring ever show us really like enough well, to matter I think it does only based on what he did last year the, the ridiculous numbers he put up and then kind of the tail off was the tail off more and if you look actually the last two weeks I think he had an OPS of like nine something so he didn't tail off that badly I. I think the tail-off was he was hitting a home run literally every day, and then we got used to it. It was like, well, he didn't home run today, but he did hit two for the week. Well, if you think about it, if you hit two for a week every week, that's 50 home runs. <laughs> but for him, it was literally a home run every day yeah. uh, for, for a period of time. So I do think spring shows you, does he hit 170 and swing and miss at a lot of pitches, or does he hit five home runs and hit, you know, have an OPS of 903? If he does, then you're like, eh, i got to play the guy. Yeah. If not... I probably do have to. He does have an option. And, I do have to send him down and let him play every day in the minors until he's ready again. And then what do you do with Senzel? Senzel is my – he is the Ben Zobrist of this team. I'm telling you. For me, he plays second base one day. He plays center field one day. He plays third base one day. Hell, you mentioned maybe he plays first base one day. Maybe he plays left field one day. Maybe he plays right field one day. He's the Ben Zobrist of this team. You move him everywhere. And it's not the – I know, uh, you got to get him in a set position so he – no. You know what? He's athletic enough to move around. He showed he could play center field. He's not Billy Hamilton out there defensively, but he's pretty good. And I'm going to find a way to get that guy's bat in the line. It's funny. Everybody talks about the disappointing year he had. I've heard that from – he had an OPS of 742 as a rookie. Yeah. That's like, pretty damn good. Yeah, that's the thing. It's it's kind of weird, the narrative on him, because I think it was always too high coming in. Mm-hmm. And now it seems like because people had expectations too high, they've now gone the other way too hard on him and say he's a disappointment and a bust. I don't think either don't is either. the case. I think – he is a solid Major League Baseball player. He looks like he's going to be an everyday well, starter in the majors. Let's watch him ascend. I, I, did you think he was going to come out of the minors and have 1,000 OPS? No. Nobody I, did. I mean, it doesn't happen that and way, maybe, folks. He's not Mike Trout. He's not Bryce Harper. He's yeah, just, I mean, well, I think I think that's part of it, right? It's like if you're a Reds fan and you're hearing about the rebuild and that was the name that kept coming up as Senzel's going to kind of be the guy that looked the most ready and had the most potential, and then to see him get up here and be like, okay, he's a Major League player, but he's like, he's serviceable. Like at this point, he doesn't look like he's going to be a star. And maybe there's upside still there. I think there's a ton of upside there. I think there's a ton of upside there. Yeah, I don't. I didn't see that. I mean, he, to I me, don't think he's like a thirty thirty guy. I think he is a he's an eight hundred OPS guy with twenty homers and forty doubles. And that to me, I'll take that guy every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely a major league player. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I think he is the most interesting piece because he's probably the guy with the most trade value still. So if they're going to consider making another move, he's probably the guy you would think yes. that's going to get dealt. And, and I'm okay with that. If you give me, yeah, if you give me a, 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 a shortstop upgrade over Freddie Galvis and it's cost me Nick Senzel at this point, sign me up. I mean, right now you're all in, right? I mean, as a team, you are all in. So keep going further all in, right? You're not thinking, well, we're a year away. or No, no, you didn't do this to be a year away. You did this all this. You, you upgraded the rotation last year. You upgraded the, the lineup this year. And here we are. You've got a pretty good club on your hands. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Galvis really struggles 
then what they what do, do they right. do? Because that's a great you question. don't really have a backup shortstop. Landino's the guy, but I don't think he... You don't and want that's him not the guy you want in the lineup. Right. You no, want Senzel or Moustakis or Aki. Like, you want that combination of new guys that you kind of right. have here that look no like doubt. that potential to play. Problem is, I don't think any of them can really play shortstop. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to move Suarez to shortstop. Yeah, you're not going to move not. Senzel to shortstop. I mean, they're, Senzel's they're, probably the best chance, but I don't see it happening. I don't either. They've even talked about they don't even want to try him there any longer. I, yeah. And I'm good with that. I... I mean, Alex Blandino is the backup plan, and I don't think that's a great backup plan. Um, now, he has a former first-round pick. He's been hurt. And he's not really gotten a chance, so I don't know what you've got there. But, yeah, I think for me, if I can move a piece to get a better piece at that position, I'm doing it, bro. Assuming Castellanos is the final piece of this offseason's puzzle, what grade would you give the Reds' front office? I have to give them an A. I, I do. I think they've done a lot. Of, I, I, look, they added a fourth, fifth starter in Wade Miley, right? If they'd have done that, I'd have gone, oh, that's nice. And they added Akiyama, who's, again, we don't know, but let's just go off his Japanese league numbers. There's your leadoff player, leadoff hitter, center fielder. Thinking outside the box. Yep, exactly. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's that's really nice. That's pretty darn good. And then because you got the short porch and right, and that's a kind of a left-hander's paradise, and you needed a second baseman, well, you got Moustakis. And look, is he? he's not a superstar, but... He's a 35 to 40 home run guy in a lineup that's already pretty good. And then, wait a minute, then you're going to add an even better piece, a younger, better slugger, Nick Castellanos, who can play a bunch of different spots? That's an A, dude. It ain't even close. It's an A. It might even be an A+. And it may not manifest itself and end up working out, right? Like, it may not end up being an A in terms of the results, but I think you have to look at it and say, okay, what did they need to do? I left last season feeling like, you have to restructure your lineup. Not get one guy who can be your six-hole hitter and be a uh, this nice upgrade. Dude, they, hang on. They added a leadoff hitter, a fourth hitter, and a third uh, a third hitter and a fifth hitter. How you, do you want to shake your lineup down? You a third completely hitter and restructured the middle yes. of your order, which yes. was the big thing to me. And not only that, you might have gotten a leadoff guy to go with it that could be a big upgrade, too. Oh, wait. And you added a, four, a starter who can be your fourth of starter. Right. And yeah, the pitching thing is... I mean, the back of the baseball cards for these guys are, are proved. The only non-proven part is Akiyama coming Japan to, to the United States. Yeah, we just States. have no we, idea. We know, but but it, it is interesting, at least. And you have another option in Senzel if, if it doesn't work out. So yeah, I mean, I think strictly from the point of... Also, you entered this, this offseason and they talked a big game. We got money to spend. Mm-hmm. We're coming after. They kept getting involved in all these names. And mm-hmm. granted, whether they were or not, you know they were putting their name out there because they wanted to be associated sure. with them. And yet, they went out and they made not only the biggest signing in franchise history, free agent signing in franchise history with Moustakis, they doubled up and did the exact same dollar amount to get Castellanos, too. They did it twice. Right. The two biggest free agent signings in franchise history in the same year. Now, granted, dollars are going up, inflation, all that, I understand. It's easy to say. But when you're the Reds, we haven't seen that. No. We haven't seen them go spend no. money like no. that. I'm... You know, as much as you, you, you want to work the process, you want to do the rebuild, I think this is what it looks like. You get a couple guys, okay, we got some pitching, we got a young guy or two that we think can play, we got Suarez right now under control, let's mash the accelerator and try to make our move right now. Not go half in and, and keep developing as we're going, go all in right now, and hopefully this window works out. Yeah. If the next two years don't, then so be it. I think the other part, too, is it also shows that, that they just have, have struggled to develop or draft accordingly that it got to the point of crap we got nothing I mean we got our guys up here in Senzel and we got nothing else we got to go spend money or we're not going to win and we're not winning the fans don't care we got FC Cincinnati to mess with hey let, let, let's do this we're, we're close we, we we've got the money to do it let's do this because we're we, we don't have we don't have Chris Bryant sitting in the minors waiting any longer we just don't but I think it's hard to do that 
Period. I do too. I don't think like the Cubs. I do too. The Cubs, to an extent, you kind of be like, yeah, they did do it, but at the same time, like they needed some pieces too, you know. And um, and they're probably the best example of building a farm system with your own guys and and them all coming up together. But man, for the most part, most teams you get one or two pieces, then you go, you you fit, right. figure it out from there. And I think especially in the red situation, that's what they have to do. And and uh, I, I don't know that's going to work out. Again, I mean, the, the projection, the 83 and a half, from what I've seen, hasn't changed yet, even after the addition I of Castellanos. I, I, I need to know that. I need to look at that. It, it was not. Wow, that's stupid then. When I, when I, after the trade happened, uh, I went there a day later after it was finalized this week. So it was finalized on Tuesday, I think, yes, or Wednesday. Whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah, and I went there the it was next day. It announced Monday, finalized on Tuesday. I think it announced Monday night and then finalized on Tuesday, yes. And it had not changed by Wednesday in terms right. of the line at Damn. the casino. So, okay. so, I mean, it's not like this team is predicted to be even a playoff team. I think it's a playoff team. But I, think, I, I, I still like the direction and what they're trying to dude, do. Dude, I, I think anything less than the playoffs would be a disappointment. I think this 100%. Is, I think this it has is to a, be. Between the rotation and, and the everyday lineup, this is a playoff caliber team. Because this team isn't going to be intact forever. You've got like two years basically for this team. And then you've got another piece or two that you may be able that to keep correct. rebuilding on. But right now, this team is kind of a two-year window, in my opinion. Yep. Time to welcome in our friend from BearcatJournal.com, Chad Brendel, who joins us on the uh, Sunday night podcast, at least the usual Sunday night podcast for college basketball, which has not been as usual of late and won't be because of the Super Bowl this week. But we need to get uh, get caught up on the UC Bearcats, uh, which were winners on uh, on Tuesday night over SMU. Cincinnati won its third straight game Tuesday, 65-43 over SMU. Jaron Cumberland exploded for 28 points on 9 of 13 shooting, including 4 of 6 from beyond the arc with 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and 5 turnovers. Keith Williams also added 13 points for the Bearcats. Chad, is it safe to say Jaron Cumberland is all the way back at this point? Yeah, I think that's a pretty safe bet at this point. If you look at his numbers in conference play, his shooting is way up. His three-point shooting is way up. He's got kind of his burst back to beat guys off the dribble to get to the rim and, and make plays and create for others. Um, and, you know, that was an SMU team that coming off a big win at Memphis, they're looking to gain some momentum and, and prove themselves to be at the top of this conference. And every time they tried to make a run, especially in the second half, Darren Cumberland just had daggers for them. So, yeah, I, I think it's safe to say we are looking at the guy that was, you know, AAC Conference Player of the Year last year. Uh, finally, after, what, two and a half, almost three months, uh, he seems to be rounding into form. Yeah, and you, you kind of saw it coming, right? I mean, the last few weeks it's been he's been better, he's been their best player, and then finally I think the last two games he's really looked like that guy again. Yeah, you know, there was there's much more comfort now between him and John Brandon. John Brandon has moved him to point guard full time. Uh, he's decided, you know, Jaron's going to have the ball, and and Jaron has earned, you know, that that distinction. I think that was part of the problem that people maybe didn't understand before. Is it, you know, not only buying into the system, but he wasn't fully healthy and he wasn't in shape, and you could see. I, I always go back to the X game, Rick. And there were three or four times in that game he couldn't go by Zach Fremantle. And that's just not Jaron Cumberland. Like, not that Zach Fremantle's a bad player, a bad defender, but Jaron Cumberland goes by guys like that and gets baskets. And, and as recently as a month ago, he couldn't do that. And now that he's starting to get that pop back and he's being trusted with the ball in his hands and a little bit more of a, 
up-tempo, free-flowing offense. Um, it, it's it, it's watching the guy that you expected to see. And it's look, we said this from the start of the season. Cincinnati's going to be as good as Jaron Cumberland allows them to be. And now they're starting to look pretty good because Jaron Cumberland looks really good. Yeah, I think we, we all talked about that, that if there was a wild card for UC, the positive was you have a guy with that level of talent who, if he does turn it on, can take this team to a different level. So as a, I think as a fan, if you were sitting and watching going, okay, if the light bulb goes off for him, this team has a chance to, to make a run to make the NCAA tournament, um, to do some some better things than it's doing. And, and obviously it is. I think that's the part as a fan, though, you're like, okay, this this could happen. I, th- I think for other teams, when you ask questions about them, there are no answers. This was the answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what made what they were going through in the in the out-of-conference and the beginning part of the, the conference play so frustrating, is that you knew it was in there. And, and, and another thing we've talked about is, with a new coach, what you never know is when things are going to click. And that's, you know, front to back of the roster. When when are things going to start to look cohesive as they learn the system on both ends of the floor, completely new system on both ends of the floor? Well, the answer to that was always, well, when's Jaron Cumberland going to click? And John has shown in the past, he will take, you know, a, a small forward or, you know, a guy that's not a point guard at the beginning of the season, and by the end of the season, that's the guy with the ball in his hands. He was going to put the ball in Jaron Cumberland's hands when Jaron Cumberland showed that he could handle that responsibility. The minute he could, this team you know, hits another gear. They won five of six, I believe, four or five or five of six. I think that's conference. right, yeah. And, you know, that's all been centered around Jaron got healthy. The team all of a sudden, all the roles start to fit now. And what guys are being asked of start to make sense because you have the best player in the conference now running the show and not only getting his, but if you look, there's some games where he hasn't really taken a lot of shots or done much scoring, but in those games, he's had seven assists, eight assists, and he's been more of a point guard. So he's been able to hurt you in a lot of different ways right now. And that that's clearly elevated this team. Yeah. You, you kind of touched on it. I mean, what does that do to slot other guys? I mean, uh, he only I mean, he had four assists, which is still a pretty good number. He had four assists against SMU. But how many more could he have had had Javen Cumberland made shots, which he's done? He was one of right. eight on threes, I think, in the, in the game, and, and, and pretty good looks at that. It's just sometimes you just don't make shots. So what does that do to slot other guys, do, do you think, and maybe allow them to kind of fit roles? Uh, you, you go back to the Memphis game. I mean, Mike Adams-Woods was, was, was dreadful handling the basketball. Chris McNeil was dreadful yeah. handling the basketball. What, what does that do for those guys, all of those guys? Well, I mean, I, I think it, it definitely with your first four or five guys, it puts everybody in a much more comfortable position because Chris Vogt has been a, a revelation throughout the start of the season. Now what they're seeing is teams are moving him to the top of the scouting report, and it's becoming a little bit more difficult for him to get looks at the rim. So with Jaron being the alpha, now that opens up Chris a little bit more. Keith Williams can be the number two guy instead of having nights where he had to be the number one scorer. Um, and he's just not comfortable in that role yet. Yeah, no, there are guys that are not. I mean, there, there are guys that like being the alpha and guys that when they get thrust into that role can't do it. And if you can't do it, that's okay. But yeah, it, 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 but, now, now that the guy who's supposed to be the alpha is, the rest of the guys can fit their role. Well, I mean, if you look at the SMU game, that's a perfect Keith Williams game. 13, 15-point range. You know, most of it's in transition or... 
or using his, his athleticism to beat a guy off the bounce and get to the rim and finish. He's really good at the free throw line. Um, and, and now there's no pressure on him, you know, that you have to get us a bucket here. You have to, to take over. I, I think you're seeing that some with Trey Scott as well. And, and now Javen can come in and be the recipient of those Jaron Cumberland passes as he gets into the lane and penetrates the defense, kicks it back out to his cousin for a clean look. Um, so it, it just feels like everything, the puzzle finally kind of fits together a whole lot better now that not only Jaron's healthy in 100%, but he and John, really, it's been really interesting to watch. He and John, over the past three or four games, if you watch them, the way they're communicating – the way they're talking, like is somebody else shooting free throws, those two guys are really in sync right now. And, and let's face it, there was a point in November where everybody was questioning whether that was even humanly possible at any point in time this season. And they seem to be working in really good tandem at the moment. Tear them down to build them up. All right, uh, Saturday comes Houston, and um, it's, the, it's the number one team in the league. It is a team that is built on on balance and defense and is a, is a tough matchup. I, I don't think it's a dynamic team by any stretch of the imagination, Shad, but it is a very solid team. Yeah. I mean, Kelvin Sampson's teams are going to defend. They're going to be physical. They're always going to have three centers that, that, that provide them with 15 fouls to throw at you at all times. Um, and the dynamic thing, though, for me is what really, you know, that, that's what's interesting about this Houston team because with Armani Brooks and Corey Davis the past couple years, there was always that, you know, that run that was coming from them. And we saw it last year at Fifth Third Arena. They hit the gas for about four minutes in that game, and there was nothing UC could do to recover. Right. They don't have that type of shooting and that type of scoring on this team. Um, Caleb Mills, I think, is going to be a star. I think Caleb Mills will probably end up being a future, at worst, first-team All-American Conference player and potentially player of the year in this conference at some point. But this is his first time on the road at Fifth Third Arena. This is a Cincinnati team that's clicking, and, and this is a Houston team that, while they're going to be good, I just don't know that if it's a Houston team on the road in an environment like this is a team that's going to throw that knockout punch midway through the second half to, to get that separation. And if they can't get separation, I'm going with the team that has the best player on the floor, and right now that's Jaron Cumberland, although – you know, Dijon Giroux is very good. Nate Hinton's very good. They, they, they have a very solid roster. Um, Quentin Grimes, uh, the, the transfer from Houston, has had games where he's really, really been able to put the ball in the basket. But, Skinny, the last three games, Cincinnati's won at home. They beat the team that's tied with uh, Houston at the top of the league. It's is, Tulsa. It's Tulsa. Yeah. They're 7-1. and one. Cincinnati beat them by 31 at Fifth Third Arena. They beat ECU by 25. They beat SMU by 22. They're playing really, really well at home right now. I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any stretch, but I think this is a game Cincinnati wins and then sets up maybe the biggest game of the year, and definitely to date, on Wednesday when they have to take on Wichita State on the road. Yeah, and, and, and lastly, I mean, if Wichita can go to Tulsa, they play at Tulsa on Saturday. They go to Tulsa on Saturday. If they were able to win that and UC wins, you'll have four teams in the league with two losses, Houston, Tulsa, UC, Wichita. And you're right, it sets up that uh, that showdown on the road on uh, on Thursday night on February 6th. Chad, we appreciate it as always. Thanks, man. No problem, guys. Talk to you soon. Good deal. That's Chad Brendel from BearcatJournal.com, our friend who joins us on the Sunday Night College Basketball Podcast.
All right, good stuff from Chad. As always, let's move on. Xavier lost for the fifth time in its last six games and the second time in a row on Wednesday as Marquette took down the Musketeers 84-82 in double overtime. Despite the leading scorer in the country, Marcus Howard, leaving the game around the 12-minute mark of the second half. Xavier was just 12 for 25 at the free throw line and missed countless freebies down the stretch that would have sealed the win. Quentin Gooden led the Musketeers with 19 points while knocking down 5 of 8 from deep in his first game back from injuring his knee. Skinny, which was worse, the 20-point shellacking the Musketeers took at Marquette two weeks ago or the two-point double overtime loss without Marcus Howard on the floor Wednesday night? I, I think this one for sure because you were at home. I mean, I, I didn't – again, I'm in the Big East, I'm not counting anybody winning on the road. So wh- whatever the margin becomes on the road is just what it is what it is. But, I mean, you lost at home and Marcus Howard didn't play and you just made a bunch of stupid play. The foul of Najee Marshall jumping at a guy shooting a three is just the dumbest damn thing I've ever seen. I – Look, as a coach, I, it's funny. I don't have a lot of rules. I really don't. You, you know, I, you think I'm an old guy who's got all these crazy rules. I really don't. I have, I have really, honestly, I have two hard, fast rules. And honestly, I do. One, one is you better sprint up and down the floor because it means one of two things. It means either you're tired, which is fine. You get tired, I can take you out. Or you don't care. And if you don't care, well, then you are coming out. And the other one is you jump at a jump shooter and you foul him, you're sitting on, you're out. Out you come because it's the dumbest damn thing ever. I, I've never saw why guys take that phony jump at a jump shooter when they're not going to block his shot 99.6% of the time, yeah, occasionally, maybe one time, you're going to get a piece of the basketball. But it always has made me laugh. And usually you're jumping with your momentum towards the guy, and then you run him over and you foul him. And what did Najee Marshall do? He fouled the guy in a c- crucial situation to shoot three free throws. It is the dumbest. I told you this on Sunday. It is the dumbest IQ basketball team I have literally ever watched in my life. Uh, I don't think you'll find an argument from me there. The, the one thing that strikes me specifically about the play that you're talking about where Najee Marshall goes in and commits that foul at the end of the, you know, in uh, overtime. In actually. overtime, yeah. Um, th- this team, and not just Najee, he's one of the culprits, but certainly other guys on this team as well. They, it, you know, we talk about hero ball so much, and I think people see that as, oh, they're being selfish, not passing, trying to do everything themselves. But to me, when I think of hero ball, I think of plays like that where the guys, they feel, they feel the pressure, right? Sure. Okay, we've been letting... Kobe McEwen for Marquette go off this entire overtime period. Whoever he is, I mean, yeah, really. transfer from Utah yeah. State. Um, we've he's been killing us this overtime period. I think he scored like twelve points in the first overtime, right? Yes. And so you take it upon yourself, saying someone needs to get this stop. Someone needs to shut him down. But instead of relying on your fundamentals and your system and everything you've been taught to do and locking in and doing it the right way, they go do something out of character and try too hard. And he goes and flies out at him 27 feet from the bank. Right. Like, why what did are you, you think contesting you were, that right. hard on What did you think you were going to accomplish? Yeah, and did I you get think it. you were going to block it? The guy's on fire. you got to do something. I get trying get to make him a on play. Catch. Then get him on a catch. Right, but lock in. Do the right thing. Be a good teammate. And this team, whether it be offensively, defensively, they just can't seem to ever do that. They can't seem to get themselves out of those tough spots, the adversity, when they're struggling by doing what they've been taught to do. It seems like they always want to go do something a little extra and a little uh, out of character, and it doesn't seem to work out for them really ever. Yeah, and the free throw stuff is just ridiculous. I mean, I, it's just absurd. To go 12 to 25 at the line, especially at home. How do you do that? I, I don't know. And, and, yeah, it's it, – I don't know. What, what was Jason Carter, 0 for – Nine. Yeah, and I mean, clearly he got spooked at some point in the game and just completely lost all confidence. Well, I mean, and that's the part I don't get. I mean, are you a freshman? No. Have you played college grad, basketball graduate before? Transfer. Right. I mean, come on, dude. Uh, and then he hit, he has the rebound at, at the end of the first overtime where they have a chance to win it. Uh, could have pulled it right. out and ran another right. set, or he could have just gone in and basically laid, laid it in. It in. Yeah. And he shot puts it 
back at the backboard 100 miles an hour and uh, gives them the final shot. I mean, it's just so many things where this team just well, shoots the margin, itself in the foot. They don't even give themselves a chance. That's the thing. The margin for error is obviously very small. And so it feels but like the, the margin for error just compounds itself. But in this Marquette game was a little bit different because they outshot Marquette from three-point range. They outscored him by six from beyond the arc, and they shot a better percentage. Uh, they Except for a 15-foot open shot with, with no one guarding you, you can't even make half well, of right, those. But I'm, I'm talking about like a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of games you look at the box score and you go, well, this Xavier team, the margin for error is so slim because they can't make a three. Right. They have to do all these right, stuff. Oh, yeah. But like in this game, they made threes. They only turned the ball over 12 times in a double overtime game. That's not much at all. It's like 16% of their possessions, which is a very, very low number. Like, they they took care of the glass enough. I mean, they weren't great, but they outscored them in second chance points and all that. So they were tough enough. And it felt like they gained control of that game in the second half. I mean, it felt like they They were in complete control of the game. Without Marcus Howard on the court. So Marquette was should have been scrambling, and yet this Xavier team just finds a way to give the game away. I'm with I think this loss is much worse than the one at Marquette for that reason. The w- loss at Marquette was embarrassing because the guys didn't show up. They quit playing, they quit competing, and that's embarrassing and it looks really bad, especially on the coaching staff and and all that. But this game, I mean from a fan's perspective, you can't have any hope going forward now because if you can't win that game at home with the way you shot the ball, the way you took care of the basketball and Marcus Howard not, not playing in, for yeah. the final 22 minutes, that's right, because the overtime, what, yeah. What game can you win right. the rest of the way right. in this schedule? I, I just don't see it. I agree with you. Uh, Skinny, one more question here on the topic of Xavier. Assuming this season continues down the line, it's on, and they miss the tournament for the second straight year, how much trouble is Travis Steele in, in your opinion? Uh, he's not going to lose his job this year. I mean, that's, no. not, that's not the Xavier way, nor should it be the college college way, in my opinion. I mean... I, I, I'm, I've always been of the ilk of give a guy a full four-year, five-year cycle and let's see what he does. And I know if it's a real disaster, you can get out earlier. I, this is not a real disaster. I don't think they're far off. That's the thing. I, that's the thing that's frustrating. I don't think they're far off. I think when you saw the all-access on Sunday, you see a guy who, he gets it. I, 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 thought, he, I thought he came off great on that. I know a lot of people maybe didn't. I, I thought he did. I, I thought I he was, did, too. I was shocked people were kind of down. But I think they're just frustrated we'd be down on anything he did. Yeah, right? like, no, that's that's right. Because to me, I watch that. I'm thinking, oh, wow, Greg McDermott's whining nonstop. Travis yes. seems composed. He's drawing up plays every set. They're getting hits off of the timeouts. Like, yes. They were I getting, thought he and, looked and good. And when you heard the sets they were running, they were getting the exact look they wanted. They just weren't finishing it a bunch of times. Yeah, that's, that's and, true, And too. some of it, Creighton, Creighton, you're not going to win. And they made some ridiculous shots. And he was... I mean, even defensively, talking about like Zach Fremantle of 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 you know, don't don't go for ball fakes. What did he do coming out of a timeout? Off, he literally said, "Don't go for ball fakes." He goes for a ball fake. I mean, that's not coaching. That's the players at yeah. that point. Well, and to a certain extent, I understand people are going to say, but that discipline, getting your players to follow what you're asking them to do, does fall on the coach to a certain extent. And I agree with that to a certain extent. And I would agree if they're not doing the things they should be doing yeah, the, the, in the, practice, but I've been there. I've seen it. Yeah, the, the bench is a great equalizer too, right? It always has been. Yeah. It always. I mean, if you're if, if Zach Freeman, if, remember early in the game, get him out. I mean, I, I do that all the time. I kid does something wrong, I, I literally turn to myself and go, get him out. And yeah. I don't even care who he brings in. I just go, all I do is turn to him and go, get him out. And it was so funny because I laughed when I heard him say that because I've been there, man. I, I can't watch the stupidity any longer, um, and it's time to come sit with me. Problem is, you don't have a deep enough roster to do that. Yeah. You just don't. You, I, I mean, so you're, you're up against it now. You don't, or you're also trading out a guy who's coming in and making a similar mistake. And then it's like, right well, now what do you do? Right. Um, but I think the seat gets very warm going into next year. I mean, I would think this, if you don't make the NCAA tournament next year, I'm sorry, you're probably up against it. And I'm assuming they're not going to make it this year. That's in a 
fairly safe assumption at this point in the game, right? You ain't going three years in that program without making a tournament. So that's that's what's really interesting to me. And that's why I posed the question to you first before I answered, because I'm genuinely curious what most people think. To me, Greg Christopher is a really intelligent guy. Agreed. And really measured, and I don't think he'd do anything rash, rash. or, or um, stupid. I also think he hired Travis Steele with a ton of confidence. I think he mm-hmm. knew he was this guy, and mm-hmm. he still believes in Travis Steele. So I don't think like that confidence has been shaken a ton. Agreed. The only thing is, money still talks. Yes, it does. And at some point, some donor is not going to be okay with missing the tournament for three straight years. And, and actually, pretty much all of them will probably feel that way. Um that being said, I don't know if it's reasonable, knowing what we know about this roster currently, to expect them to make the tournament. If this roster right now cannot make the tournament, well, next year you're losing, I, you're bringing in more young guys. I, I, the 2018 recruiting class was a complete whiff. Like, I, I agree with you, Rick. You're but, essentially but, but relying you're not, on Kiki Tandy and Zach Fremantle to lead you next right. year if that's the case. But no, if you're not going three straight years without making the tournament keeping your job. You're just not. Not in this program. Not not in any high-level program. You're just not. I'm inter- I I know there's a lot of fans on my thing, message board that feel that way. But the here's is, the problem, though, okay, Skinny. Let me, let me throw yeah, this at yeah. you. Okay, so you fire Travis Steele after three years. So what happens at, at a place like Xavier when that happens? Your recruiting class goes put You have no recruits coming in that next year. So now you have another cycle like 2018 where you had no help mm-hmm. and you set yourself back again. You might have a guy or two transfer out because they were brought in by sure. the previous no, coach. Right, right, right. So now you're rebuilding an entire roster at Xavier again in the Big East. Like I know Xavier fans think they are Duke and Kentucky and they should win everything every year and get every recruit that they want. And that's how most fans in the country feel about their program. But I'm telling you, you're going to be in a bad spot if you start firing coaches quickly and want to keep trying to rebuild this thing at Xavier with less resources than most of the other teams in your conference. Okay, that, that's fair. But the reason for hiring Travis Steele in the first place was, A, he probably earned it. I mean, I'm not telling – again, I, don't, I think it was a good hire. I think it was the right hire. But it was to kind of continue the Xavier way, right? I mean, he, it, it, it's been a successful formula for them. And it's almost been seamless transition. And three years in, if you don't make it, and again, we're jumping to complete assumptions Huge. here. Yeah, yeah. But, but still, three years in, if you don't make it, three in a row, when it wasn't like you came from the outside and had to rebuild, you were on the inside as part of the process already, and you would think it'd be seamless. And okay, there was a little hiccup last year, and you made a great late run, and you still made the NIT and all of those things. Well, this year wasn't supposed to be a hiccup. I mean, look, I don't. was this a second weekend team? No, but I think this was a... I think this is an NCAA tournament caliber team on paper, which doesn't mean a hill of beans. But, but I, I go to, and I think you mentioned the point. You still have to sell three after three years. You have to go back to your fan base and you have to go back to your donor group and go. He's going to get it done, and that donor group or that fan base can go. No, he's not because I've watched it for three years now. I'm, I'm out. You get. I'll be back when you get this thing right again. Again, I'm not saying that's the way fans should react, but it's the way they do react. Oh, I know they do. And I, I agree. And I'm not saying they're entirely wrong because I agree with, like, in a vacuum, if you just say the sentence, you can't miss the tournament three years at Xavier and keep your job. Yes, I totally agree with that. Right. But now, I, I, I but now that saying. we know the way things have played out and they're probably going to miss it two years in a row and you know what the roster looks like coming back next year, I don't... Now, here's the thing. My guess is, because this is what happens all the time with Xavier's coaches... People wanted to fire Sean Miller after his second mm-hmm. year. Chris Mack was like four years in because he had the same thing where That's he was right. trying to piecemeal rosters together with like Isaiah Fillmore yep. and Andre Turner and yep. these grad transfers. And he made the move in the Big East after those first two years. Like 
he was in that same boat where people think he didn't have it even after he had already made an NCAA tournament and, and won a game and everything, made the Sweet 16 actually right, in 2012. Right. So, but you have that cachet though, Chief. You got, I mean, that's the cachet you you did do that, right? But but that but that's what what probably saved Chris, right? Because yeah. if he doesn't make that Sweet 16 with the Jordan Crawford, right. Kenny Freeze, to Holloway his first year, where he's basically just we got enough talent to get there, even though things went. Haywire. Right. It, yeah. it went all off the rails there. They still ended up making it because their guys were talented enough. That's what seems to end up happening for these coaches because they are good enough. Sean Miller had the same thing where he figured it out in time. Chris got the cachet early, led them in the tournament, so he got the early Sweet 16. It kind of sustained him probably through those next couple of years where things got pretty rough with the Samaje Kristen years, and they you know they missed the tournament the one year, and then the next year they lose in the play-in game, which was essentially like not yeah, making the right, tournament. Right, right. Um, but then he figures it out because because you have enough time, you get your guys in, and you do it. That's the thing for Travis. I think he'll probably figure something out next year, whether it's a grad transfer or a transfer portal guy that gets eligible right away, and it meshes enough with the freshman and Tandy and Freeman will make some major step forward and is a big-time contributor. And my guess is he probably figures something out next year, and it does work out because I do think he's going to be a good coach. But what if? But that's, well, and that's why I posed the question because if it doesn't happen, then things get really interesting all of a sudden. And I don't know that... I, I'm not saying they shouldn't. Travis deserves the criticism, but at the same time, I don't think Xavier wants to get into a, a, a cycle of oh, firing I, coaches every hey, three years and rebuilding. Listen, in, in, in back in, in the day, I mean, the, it was really a five-year period you gave a coach of a full recruiting class and then maybe a second class underneath it, and that was back in the day of juniors and senior-laden rosters and all of those things. So that kind of felt like that was felt like every coach got a five-year five-year contract, and then if things went right, they kept extending it out so he'd have that window to recruit in. It just doesn't work that way any longer. And I, I, The only part for him, for me is I still think last year's team was talented enough to make the tournament, and that would have bought him some cachet. That would have bought him a little haywire this year. Problem is, last year started in a bad fashion, ended in a rush, and didn't quite get there. This year, I mean, you're going to have to end in a rush just to push to make the tournament, right? And, yeah. and, and even I mean, then, it just doesn't feel like Yeah, it. let's be honest. We're to the point where I, they're right. not making the tournament unless there's a miracle. Right. I mean, they, they need some crazy right. turnaround. And, and it's funny you say that, but back to the other coaches, it feels like that's always happened for them. And maybe yeah. it happens for Travis Steele. I, again, like I said, when I go back to watching him coach on Sunday as a coach myself, I went, I like him. I think I'm, I'm, there's not one thing in that game. I, yeah, you can argue. Should he be more fiery? Should he get in somebody's ass? Okay, again, be your be yourself. Right. Uh, yeah, if, be yourself. If, if, if that if that's his personality, then maybe he should have done a little more of that. If it's not, and the way he, co- I thought he came off great. I, there was not one thing I went. He didn't know what the frick he's doing. He thought he did did great, making adjustments. Sets look good. Sets got guys shots where they're supposed to get guys shots. Defensively, he was trying to make adjustments. He went adjusted to the zone, and the zone worked for a period of time. But you're down, and um, you know a couple of couple of of, of of plays got away from them. That's not him. It really isn't. That's not him. Yeah, I think there's there's plenty to argue scheme and philosophy wise, and some decisions they make. You know, whether it be who you're playing, if you're not pulling guys out soon enough, and and instilling discipline in that manner. But if you you're no bench, if you need to really switch your philosophy on defense altogether. Aside from the man to man, and maybe you should have been pressing all year. Which again, I don't agree with any of these things, but I think you can argue those as a rational fan sure. and have a clue. Sure. And everyone has their own opinions on what works. And and really, what it comes down well, to, I told is you earlier in the year, and of course, guys, I got I got blown up on Twitter for it. I, I thought they should have pressed more early in the year to get some create some offense. Okay, but again, I I'm not going to pick nits at that and go he can't coach because he doesn't press. But <laughs> uh, but but I think you can have a more reasonable argument on those things. Yes, as like but like the whole doesn't know X's and O's, can't run an offense stuff. Like, for one, every time I hear that, the person who's saying it 
doesn't know what they're running. He can't tell me what they were actually running during the game. That's correct. And and two, like, this is the guy who essentially designed the offense while Blewett and McKeer were here. Now, Chris Mack is an elite X's and O's, guys. I'm not saying you didn't lose something there. Best out about under coach I've ever watched. He's awesome as an X and O coach. But so is Travis Steele. And Travis Steele was learning from that guy. Like, yes. It's not like he doesn't know offense. The thing is, the game isn't rocket science. At some point, That's if right. you can't make an open shot, defending you becomes really, really simple. And what you can run against that defense to open it up becomes very, very minimal aside from making an open shot. And I think that's where they found themselves in in terms of their offense. And lastly, go back to last night, making an open 15-foot standing still shot with no one guarding you. Who's that on? I believe they call those free throws. Oh, they're free, right? Hmm. And it's a throw. For them, it looks like a throw. It <laughs> it's is... supposed to be a free shot, but it's really for them, it's more of a free yeah, throw. Yeah, it's very accurate in that description. Yes, free exactly. shot put. All right, Skinny. Couple more topics here to finish up with college basketball. NKU went up to the Nutter Center on Friday and got smoked 95 to 63. The Norse were never in it as the Wolf Raiders placed six players in double figures, led by freshman Tanner Holden's 20 points and 13 rebounds. The Wolf Raiders. NKU was led by Tyler Sharp's 18 points. Skinny, do you think NKU has a chance at Wright State when the teams meet up again at the end of the regular season at BB&T Arena, or is Wright State just heads and shoulders above the rest of the conference this year? They were on that night, for sure. I mean, I listened to your all's broadcast. I listened to a good chunk of it as I was driving around. How happy did I sound, Chief? You didn't sound very happy at all. I told you, I said, I thought you sounded good. I said, but this doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I, again, I'm a big one. Sometimes margin of victory or margin of decision Look, in the fifth grade, does it matter because one team is head and shoulders above the other? Sure it does, right? I mean, when team A beats team B 52-12, to 12, you can usually go, oh my gosh, they're stacked and that team is not. Right. College basketball, sometimes, a lot of times, margin of victory doesn't mean a damn thing. It just it means that night they were that good and that night you were that bad. 30 is a lot. I do think they're better because I think they have better parts without... Dantez Walton. Now, that's the X factor. When If he comes back, that gives NKU another major piece. You can argue, well, Dantez Walton isn't going to help them not give up 95. Yeah, maybe not. But uh, He makes a big impact on that defense. Once you start chasing points, right, your possessions get quicker, and sure. you're trying to gamble on defense to get a live ball turnover to get something out of your defense to turn it into offense, and it just it gets away from it. I'm not making excuse. Right now, I hate to tell you this, right state is better. They are simply better, and they have better parts. Um, they have more better parts. They have a guy that you can't guard and loud and love. Billy Wampler is a really good player. I mean, he was a Division One transfer from another program. I mean, he's a good player. They've just got better players. Dantez Walton, though, if he is back and healthy, is arguably the best player in that league. Take the, In the Horizon League, you don't get to take the best player in the league away from a team and go, they're going to be really good. Right, don't ha- it doesn't right. happen that way. I mean, it no. doesn't. I mean, Marquette can get away with losing Marcus Howard for a night. Now, I don't think they can get away with losing Marcus Howard for yeah. an extended period of time. And really, they shouldn't have gotten away with no, it. No, but yeah, no, but, but you yeah. can get away with that for a night. Um, uh, you can't do that for an extended period of time, and NKU has had to do that for an extended period of time. Right State's better, but can they get them? Yes, absolutely. I, I think when it's all said and done, when they play in that, it's the final regular season game, right? Yeah. Yeah. When they play that game, I, I, somehow Wright State will lose another game along the way, maybe two. It just happens. NKU has to kind of survive and not do that to get it down to where it's a showdown for first. I think when it's all said and done, they're the they're, whoever it is, probably Wright State is one, NKU is two. They get the double bye, and they will end up meeting to go to the NCAA tournament. So really, it won't even be that game that matters. It'll be that third matchup uh, in the Horizon League Championship. And by then, you got to hope and you got to believe Dantez Walton's back. Yeah, I think clearly, and maybe this weekend will, weekend will help decide it because um, NKU got kind of beat up 
at home by Green Bay right, earlier in the season. Now they got to go on the road for that trip, the so, Green Bay Milwaukee trip. So right? now, if you assume they go, if they go and win at Green Bay, I think you feel very confident saying NKU is clearly the second best yes. team in this conference after Wright State. And I already feel that way. I, after I do seeing too. All these teams, and they are actually technically the second team in the conference right now. They're still in, number, in second place. Yeah, they're, they're by a game in seating or um, in, in terms of standings. They're there as well. Um, but Wright State is unique from the other teams. Not only do they have the pieces, like you mentioned. But their pieces work well against NKU's defense. And one thing that's been able to kind of keep NKU going while Jalen Tate was out initially and then now since Dantez Walton has been out is that they've been able to rely on that defense pretty consistently, just confusing teams one, but two, taking the opposing team's best players out of the game because a lot of them are ball-dominant, ball-screen guards that need to drive and make plays. And against that matchup zone, Ball screens are just ineffective they, for not, a guard. Yeah, they're worthless. Right. And so they've been able to take a lot of guys out of games with that. But Wright State, they don't have that. Billy Wampler is a catch-and-shoot guy who moves really well without the ball. They have a bunch of mid-range assassins, which is exactly how you want to attack that zone. And then they've got a monster in the middle right. who can well, rebound against it and beat you up. So they are well-equipped to beat that zone. That definitely concerns me. At the same time, I am a big subscriber to the theory that every team plays on average about three games that are way above their level, three games that are way below their level during a year, and then the rest of the year is who they are, right? NKU played one of their worst games of the season at Wright State. Okay, so the first, night for it. Hang on, the first cycle of games, which they're, they're through now, you're through the first round robin cycle, you played two games below your capability. Green yeah. Bay at home. Texas Southern. Well, uh, I, I, mean, I, I was just talking about the conference. Oh, in conference, yeah, about, yeah. yeah, Texas Southern, but yeah, in the conference. Green you, Bay and Detroit. Green Bay, Green Bay, Detroit in this one. Okay, yep. so the first cycle through, you played you played those three. Maybe you don't have those in the last nine cycle, right? Right, yeah. And I or mean, maybe you have one. Yeah, and this team's a little unique because there's so many moving pieces and everything's new and all that. But I think you caught right say on a night where they were at their absolute best. They didn't miss a shot hardly. And part of that's because they were carving your defense. Part mm. of it's because even guys making wide open shots is still impressive sometimes, you know? And then NKU couldn't do anything. So I think it'll be a much different game. I'm certainly concerned, but I'm with you. I think NKU can get them back, and that'll lead to a showdown in the conference tournament, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. All right, final topic here on the college basketball side of things. Kentucky. Kept its momentum rolling Wednesday night as the Wildcats came back at Rupp Arena to beat Vanderbilt 71-62. to The Big Blue trailed by seven at halftime and found themselves down by double digits early in the second half before closing on a 32-15 to run. After only playing five minutes in the first half, Nick Richards finished with 15 points and 11 rebounds. Tyrese Maxey led the Cats with 18 points. Has your opinion about this UK's team upside changed over the last few weeks? I don't know about the upside. I think part of it is the league just isn't very good. But I do think that Nick Richards, you go back to the Louisville game, he's just a different cat. I mean, he is he is a difference maker. And the funny part was, you mentioned he only played five minutes in the first half. He got two fouls. And what did Vanderbilt do? They attacked the rim and took a lead at halftime and extended it a little bit. I think they got to 10 in the second half early, 40-30. to 30. Um, But they were up seven at the half. Why? Because Nick Richards wasn't in the ballgame. Nick Richards in the ballgame, I, 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 I'd like to see his plus-minus. I mean, his plus-minus for that game has to be huge, right? Yeah, I, mean, I would think so, yeah. Because of, of what they did when he was in and what they did when he was out. <laughs> so he has changed my opinion because he has become a difference maker. You know what you don't have in college basketball any longer? You just don't. You don't have a seven-foot upperclassman difference maker. And he's really not even an upperclassman. I guess he is. No, I mean, you, you really don't you because don't they're have, one and done. So yeah, if if right, you're that good, right. if you're a difference maker, you're gone right. after two years max. And he wasn't that guy and suddenly light bulb goes off and now I look at him and go well you can play in the league I wouldn't have told you back in December I thought the guy could play in the league now I'm like damn and for, for whatever reason I, I don't I don't know why I don't know if just suddenly whatever happened happened 
he is a seven foot difference maker. And there's no, there's no, there's no guys like that in college basketball. No, I, I think that's a great point that they're just are very. I'm, I can't even think of the other guy recently who's been a three, four year contributor and like seven foot difference maker with that type of athleticism, right? Like Game changing, yes. Talent. There's been some guys that have over the course of the career develop into a nice player and they end up being really good taco fall but not five taco fall right i mean right but not five star talents correct that that's what he is stick around um and i you know i wish people listen to this podcast more often more people remember this but when we were talking about it probably a month and a half two months ago i consistently said that i still think this team has upside because Because of of nick Nick richard right and for whatever reason it did click for him at some point and they've shown that but i'm now looking at this kentucky team it's not Nick Richards has been awesome, and that's huge for them. I get it. But the other thing I see is they now have roles yes. with Nick Richards. They can rely on him. They can play through him in the post a little bit, right? Well, now they've also got Emmanuel quickly as kind of their go-to perimeter scorer, the guy you run your sets for coming off screens to get him open looked, the guy when you're stagnant that you run a play for and he hits a three for you to get you going again. But not, but he's not the only guy you can rely on. Tyrese Maxey pops up last night with last an 18-point game. After not a and, great game at Texas Tech. And that's that's what you need. Like He can't be your go-to guy that you're relying on every night, but he can be a dynamic piece on the nights that he gets it going. Yes. So when you have Quickly and Richards playing the way they are consistently, kind of a little two-man game. you got your perimeter guy, you got your, your post guy, you can play through both of them. That gives Cal an offense to rely well, on, and then you can really get some some minutes and, and some moments out of the other guys. Right, and Ashton Hagens has shown a level of consistency of doing just a little bit of everything. And so that's now three guys we're thinking are consistent, right? Uh, well, two guys we think are consistent, and then between Quickly and Maxi, who's on that night? And if they're both on, well, then Katie bar the door, you're not beating them. If those two are on and you're getting the consistency from Nick, Nick Richards, you're getting the consistency from Ashton Hagens, it doesn't matter who the fifth guy. It doesn't matter if it's Sestina or Johnny Juzang or Khalil Brooks. I mean, it, it, or uh, Keon Brooks. It doesn't matter who those who that guy is. You're, you're fine. So, yeah, I, my opinion has changed because of Nick Richards, though. It's just he is a difference maker that other teams in the country just don't have that guy. They just don't. Know. Name one. I, I I'm sure there's somebody I'm missing, right? But yeah, I mean, like Kansas has Azubuki. I mean, there there are definitely other big men that are good out there that are difference makers. But your point about guys sticking around with that type of talent and size, it just doesn't really happen. Um, and like I said, the league is not good. I, I think there's three, and I could stretch it to Florida maybe, but you know they lost at home to Baylor when I thought they had a puncher's chance to win that game and kind of redeem their season. If you look at their net, they're still pretty good in the net. They're probably an NCAA tournament team. They're probably hell if they start winning games. I looked at their schedule. They got a really soft, soft. I mean, when, when Kentucky goes there sometime uh, in, in February, I think they're 12 and 7 now. I think they got a chance to be 19 and 7 at that point. So they're going to be on a roll when Kentucky comes in and a chance to get a big win. But there's really four teams in the league Florida, Kentucky, Auburn, and LSU. Name me a fifth that yeah. you like. Yeah, I mean, I think Texas Tech is good. Yeah. That yeah. they just played. I mean, yes. not, not in the yes. SEC, but like in no, terms no. of their schedule, the way it's setting up. That was playing, a great win. Yeah, they're playing some good teams right now, but I agree with you that like. Now, Saturday t- they're at Auburn. This will be the third of those three Saturdays we talked about. You go to Auburn to win, they're the best team in the league, in my opinion. That yeah, I don't LSU. think it's close. Yeah, especially coming off the Texas Tech win, I think you've clearly proven you're the best team in the conference. And I, I you get in an NCAA tournament talk, it doesn't mean a whole lot about, oh, where can they get to? And it's a lot of hyperbole. But I, I mean, you do, at least I have gone from thinking, well, this is a team that could be out in the first round. Right. Like, who knows what's going to happen? Depending with on these whether guys. we were thinking eight seed playing eight nine game, you're not going to you, right. Like, maybe they could make a run, but probably not. Now I'm like, I'm not so sure these guys are on a Final Four type team. And I'm not expecting that, but like, you could. It wouldn't shock who, me. Who right? are you going to argue over them that right. is that much better? I right. don't see it. San Diego State. 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, that's my point. Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. Exactly. Perfect example. All right, Skinny, let's get to our betting picks. All right, you did not do so good last week, although no, you told me I off the air you did a, you had a pretty good week yourself, though. Making In real plays. life. In real yeah. life. But on the on the program, the picks we give uh, out, just awful. you're dreadful. And you're the basketball expert. I'm just a yeah. schmuck. Apparently, I was a college football expert this you year. Were. I should have done that. More so than me. All right, so last week I went 5-3. Uh, and three. I went 1-1 one one in the NKU game, 1-1 one one in the Kentucky game, 1-1 one one in the Xavier game, and swept the UC game. You went 1-7. You got swept in NKU, you got swept in Xavier, you got swept in UC, and you did go 1-1 one one in the Kentucky game. The part you got right was Kentucky winning it. Now, in defense of you, you had the under, I had the under, we both lost the under, and part of that was because the game went to extra yeah, five I mean, minutes. Yeah, I mean, that's betting for you right yes, there. Yes, that's, exactly. That's the that's, tough hit. That's the bad beat. Um, so I am now 54-35-3. You are... 43, 46, and 3. You're costing people money, Rick. Yeah. Come well, on, Rick. You should be fading me anyways. Yeah, that's, good, that's a good All point. right. Friday at 9 p.m., NKU is at Green Bay. The Norse are three-point favorites in this one, despite their earlier loss at home to the Phoenix. 155 is the total. Yeah, that total seems just outlandishly high to me. I'm going to go NKU. I think they win it, and they cover it. 76-70. Norse get the job done. I'm going to go NKU 75, Green Bay 68. I'm, wow, we're right on the same plane there, bro. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I Look, Green Bay plays at the fastest pace in the country, but I think if NKU is going to win this game and control so, yeah. it, they're going to play at their pace yes. a little bit more this time around. I think it is lower scoring, so it's NKU and the under. That brings us to Saturday at 11 a.m. Little yeah, I know. How about special. that? Little yeah. kegs and eggs for yes, me at indeed. the uh, hotel. Xavier. At Seton Hall, Seton Hall is favored by ten. The total is one thirty-four. Yeah, I think the I think the the line is a little high, although I mean Seton Hall is really good. They they were down to the. I mean at home. And, yeah, they were I, down to DePaul and ended up winning a nice solid comeback game in that one. And I know it was at home. It still seems high. Any any time you get double digits in this league, I think that I have a hard time picking home teams to lose. But I also have a hard time picking road teams to lose by big margins in this league. I'm interested to see what Vegas has this spread actually I think at. it's gonna be less than 10 I, I say eight and a half what do you think um that's I could see anywhere between eight and a half and ten I, here's okay. the thing at 10 I could see them doing that and making a suckers bet on Xavier people because everyone will think no way Xavier's gonna lose on the road by that you know gonna right. lose by that much but this Xavier team on the road yeah they can lose by that much especially to Seton Hall yeah I'm gonna go with their big man back I'm going Seton Hall 72 66 so I, I they, they win comfortably I I 134 seems small too. Although Seton Hall, DePaul was a was a lower scoring game than I would have believed. 7266, it just feels right. So uh, Xavier to cover Seton Hall on the money line and take the over. I'm going Seton Hall 76, Xavier 65. So Seton Hall covers wow. just barely, and it hits the over just by a little bit as well. Okay. Uh, and and by, by the way, you should be fading me if you didn't hear. I was one that's and exactly, seven. That's last exactly week. right. He was one and seven last week. Saturday, six p.m. We've got two games of this time slot. First, Kentucky is at Auburn. The Tigers are three point favorites. One forty one is the total. Yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to regret this because I think Auburn is really good. I didn't think they would be really good, but I do think they are really good. But Kentucky showed me the last couple of road Saturdays. I think Arkansas is really good, and they went there and won. Although Arkansas wasn't so good against South Carolina, but. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to take Kentucky to get the outright win on the road. I think they have to play this game at their pace. Um, Auburn wants to play at their pace. You talked about the pace. I'll go Kentucky, and they're they're just good enough defensively. I'll go Kentucky. Yeah, it's going to go over, though, still. Kentucky 
Yeah, we're, we're really close on this one. A four-point spread. I've got Kentucky 76, Auburn 72. <laughs> So we're right on it, just just off by a bucket. So we both play. have Kentucky, we, Kentucky, Kentucky in the over. Take Kentucky on the money line. That's what we're saying. Yep. Oh yeah, and that's what and I, they will be a dog. I think. Right. I, I think that that's a, yeah, that yeah, line yeah. feels about right. Minus three in Auburn. Feels and by the way, these me. lines, if you're wondering, if we're just pulling them out of thin air. These are Ken Pomeroy generated lines, which, for the record, are usually pretty damn good. Yeah, they've been pretty spot on. As you see, we've already had uh, three ties this year, where it was dead on the number, just with the games we're picking. Our last game here, Skinny Houston at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are one-point favorites at home. 137 is the total. Uh, you know, I, I think Chad Brennan will nail it. You see at home right now is just kicking people's ass. I mean, they're just really good at home. They're playing with a ton of confidence. Jaron Cumberland's becoming the player we thought he was going to be. And I think with, with this being such a, 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 a key game for them in the league, the crowd's going to be wired. They're going to be locked in. Um, Houston isn't dynamic offensively. I think UC wins this one comfortably. I think this line actually. I think this line is probably going to be three. Um, UC, but still, even with that, I'm picking UC comfortably by double digits. Sixty nine, fifty eight Bearcats. So UC in the under. That total seems high. One thirty seven. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that, especially with the way these two teams typically play. Now, they're, uh, Houston is fairly efficient on offense, but you're right. They're not exactly explosive. No. Um, and they're a good defensive team. Correct, correct. Um, Houston right now is 23rd in Ken Palm overall, and their offense is uh, is, actually, good. is actually ranked 21st. Yeah. So it's better than you would think. Yeah, they're just they're just not, like I said, dy- dynamics the word. They're very balanced. There's not one guy you, well, you and, have to take away. And that's the point on. I like that Chad brought up is just like at the end of the day, you can kind of see a war between these two teams like they've had in years past. Right. But like Cincinnati has Jaron Cumberland playing to at take home o- to, to take, take over. over. Right. Um, and that should make you feel good. But I'm going to go the other way, though. I need to make wow. up some ground. And I also want to try not to overreact to what UC has shown me because I've been pretty high on them recently. Wow. I'm going to not overreact to this SMU game. Oh, this is the Xavier guy in you. This is just all you see, people. I feel sorry for you having to listen to what he's about to say. I've been riding the John Brandon train all year, and you know that's the case. Houston 70, Cincinnati 66, so that's Houston and the under. Do you want to make a double you want to make a, a double or nothing bet on the case of beer you owe me? No, I was going to say, I haven't even gotten gotten that one to you because every time we record this, I've just been coming from a basketball that's game. A, that's a good before. point. All right, lastly, we've got to get to the Super Bowl, though. Yes, we do. Sunday, 6.30 p.m., Skinny, we have the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are the one-point favorite. 54.5 is the total. I love... A NFL playoff game where the line is this low. Yeah, this is this, this it's basically is a, picking who you want to win. That, that's that's all it is. Yeah. I mean, you can get a little value if you took KC on the money line, but not much value. But you do. I mean, if you think Kansas is going to win, don't bet the line, bet the money line because you're going to get a little more value. Which I've never understood Vegas giving you that value. I mean, this game is not going to end in a tie. Right. I mean, so it can't, it can't end in a tie. Well, you could get pretty good odds on a tie, I bet. Um, yeah, the only way it would tie is if the lights went out in, in, I, I, in I, Miami and you couldn't finish the game. I bet I mean, Vegas would give you pretty good odds on that. I'm sure they would. Um, I, I'm a big Kansas City fan. I've been riding their train for a while now this year. Uh, I thought they'd make the Super Bowl. I did think Green Bay was the other Super Bowl team. I came close. Um, and, and Frisco's good. I mean, look, I, they've since I saw them in Week 2 in person against the Bengals, it opened my eyes to go, damn, they've got it going on, and they've not done anything to dissuade me. But I don't know. I know Kansas City fell behind 24 nothing, and people want to look at that, and they fell behind the che- by, by Titan 17-7. You know what? If they don't fall behind in this game, which I don't think they do, they just, they're too dynamic. Give me Kansas City 37-27. The Chiefs 
by a comfortable margin and the over. I, there's a lot of people I've heard the one thing that they like in this game is the under. I know some of that is because Frisco kind of takes the air out of the ball at times, but and I think they're good defensively, but you're not stopping this Kansas. You're just not, in my opinion, stopping this Kansas City offense. You're not. Well, Kansas City worries me because it feels like they can turn any game into a track meet. Yes. And, and like they, it feels like their defense sometimes even baits you into it. Like It's, it's, it's like, like watching a team press going, yeah, you can make a layup. We're going to make a layup on the other end. And we're going to get at our pace, and you're going to look up and go, wait a minute, we, we're scoring, but we're not scoring enough. Doesn't it kind of yes. feel like that? They feel yes. like a fast-break basketball yes. team at times um, in the way that they entice you to play with their at their pace. I'm still I'm with the public opinion though. I'm gonna go under here. I'm gonna say Kansas City okay. thirty one, San Francisco seventeen. I like wow. Kansas City to win easily. I think I'm gonna probably modify that line and take it up to get better odds. Which I think you're gonna get really good odds. You take it into double digits. I don't know. I'm gonna take it that high. I might take it up to a touchdown though. Okay. Um and feel pretty good about so it. So good good I think you'll get good value if you do that. Yeah, I do too. Um, and I like I really like Kansas City. I'll be honest. I'm looking at all the different bets, you know, for yeah. You know, there's all these prop bets, all these different quarters and halftime lines and everything. And I just got to the point where I was like, I don't, I don't really feel great about anything with this game. I'm just going to roll with Kansas City, put everything on that, and uh, feel pretty good about. Yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's probably a good call on your part. Is there any prop bet that you really like that you saw out there? Um, <laughs> the one I liked was this is the goofiest one, and I don't know if it's even available at the local casino um but i did see it i, I get odds from a from a online sports book and sometimes i use them actually for story stuff because Bengals are involved reds are involved whatever players are involved right the one i liked was yes or no would the announcing crew of jim nance and, and tony romo say the new england patriots during the broadcast and i'm thinking yes and it was what the yes was like only minus 150 I, which stunned me i'm like i'm thinking there's no way unless, they does it unless Romo put down a giant stack on the fact that they're not going to say it. Yeah, maybe, they're going to say it. Maybe that's what. It, maybe he and Nance went to Vegas and made a wager on that's that. That's what's always uncomfortable for me it about is, doing know, any of those props. It's like a it. time for the national right. anthem. It's like the person could have bet it. You know they could have bet it. You know what the time for the national anthem is? What one fifty nine, which is high. You, most national anthems are around the one forty range. The anthem at Xavier last night How? would have blown that out of the water by probably thirty seconds. Uh, under you mean? Over. Oh, really? It was the longest anthem. I wish Josh Katzwitz would have been right. there with he, his he sundial to time that thing. Really? It took forever. And yeah. it wasn't like me just noticing it. It was like the entire arena was like, what is going on here? Was it extended notes? Extended verses? Almost like like she, was, she wasn't reading the words off anywhere, but almost like if you hear someone who can't read very well trying to sound it out, oh my. like where it's just taking them a while to get through it. Was it a good rendition? No, oh, okay. my okay. man. It okay. really wasn't. Okay. Any time the song takes 30 extra I'm seconds, with it's usually not very good. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, but that's, that's the, the minute 59. I think the, the color of Gatorade's always an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, purple was a huge... Uh, I, I thought red was. Was it purple? Underdog. Oh, yeah, underdog. Yeah, yeah, I think red's the favorite. Red's the favorite red's always, the favorite. I yeah. think. Red yeah. or yellow are usually yeah. the favorites. I, the only prop I did end up taking, and I'm not like, I don't feel I haven't looked at them. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I need to look. I've looked at some of them. I've not looked at all was, of them. Was um, Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, to score the first touchdown of the game. Yes um, or no? Was it a yes or no one? Or was it no, that, it was just like you get, you get, yeah, um, what were the odds? odds? I think I got it at like uh, plus. 800 oh wow yeah I mean, it was it was oh, really that's high. a good one i'd take that in a heartbeat yeah I, and it's the first touchdown not just score yeah, yeah, touchdown yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. um yeah it's so so i think at plus 800 i was like ah it's worth taking a flyer I, on because it's a he's such a superstar type player right it's reasonable he could get a touchdown well and the thing is you can get him on a second goal to two you can get him from the 35 you could even get him from the 50 i mean there's, there's a lot of ways he can score right yeah usually you know I running like back your receivers stuff like yeah, that you yeah. don't get good odds on right but for tight ends sometimes they do and in his case he's a little different from most tight ends so. yeah I, those are good ones i like i like those 
I'm right. taking the under. I'm taking the under though for the uh, for the anthem. It's got to be under. I mean, Demi Lovato's singing it. I feel good about you, Demi. I'm not touching it. I think the I Stay think under, they Demi. bet on it. Stay under, Demi. Well, she just want to bet on the right she, side. She, she could bet the under. Yeah. That's Coin true. toss, heads or tails? Tails never fails. Heads. Tails never fails. You want you want you want to go double or nothing on the case for the tails? Yeah, I do. Okay, so I got heads, you got tails. Yeah. So we do have we have we have our own personal prop. Right. I love Good. it. Good. I, lo- I love that, it. That is gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna best. be on a bus. Yep. Back from Milwaukee. And I'm gonna text you and go, and, sucker. And people are just gonna hear me lose my mind. Hopefully after a win, mind you, so they're not as yes, exactly. annoyed by yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. They're hearing me lose my mind and be like, the game hasn't even started yet, Broaring. What's going on back then? Heads heads lost. I I I, I had tails. Tails never fails, Coach Horn. There you go. Pipe down. Good luck. All right. Thanks to uh, Chad Brennan from BearcatJournal.com. For Rick Brewing, I'm Richard Skinner. It's the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition.